Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Marriage, relationships, connection with each other, all those things are challenging things. How real is that? Okay, you don't have to admit. You don't have to admit it. But that's real. That's the real deal right there. That's, that's communication. Uh, my wife was hugging me, and um, I said, I'm sorry. I don't have those words. <laughs> I'm not very good with those kind of words. And uh, I grew up in a context where love was hard to share. And, uh, and unfortunately, it kind of carried on. And um, I'm learning, I'm, you know, after 32 years this year, um, we'll learn some more and keep learning. And so uh, it's very, very good to uh, continue the conversation about uh, <clears throat> faith and family. Faith and family is critical. Faith, if we don't integrate our faith and our, and with our family, then we're going to miss some opportunities that I think are going to be uh, pretty incredible. Today I want to talk to you um, about simply uh, marriage. Now, if you're single or if, if you uh, um, went through a relationship and you, you ended up divorcing or anything like that, this still applies. This still don't, don't for one minute kind of exit the conversation because this is really going to be helpful. I believe you're going to get tools that are going to continue to work for you. This Faith and Family series is a toolbox series. In other words, every message will give you tools to work on and, and uh, in your relationships, in your family, in every way possible. And so we just want to continue that conversation. Last week we talked about communication. And uh, do you guys remember um, quick, slow, slow? Do you remember that uh, we, we used last week? It was quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? So quick, slow, slow. Great tool. Just remember that tool and you'll, you'll do well in uh, relationships. Now, I want to qualify this message this week with an understanding that, um, one, I'm going to preach the Bible. The Bible is the truth. And the, it's the foundation of everything we believe. It's the foundation of our, our, uh, our, our, uh, the way we approach life. It's the foundation. It guides our lives. It's not a book of rules. It's a book of boundaries, if, if, if you will. Um, every uh, dangerous curve on a road has, uh, in most cases, has a guardrail. And those guardrails are there to keep us from, uh, if we make a mistake, from driving off the road. And in most cases, they'll stop you from driving off the road. And that's exactly what the Bible does, and it helps us. It gives us guardrails so that we can be safe in the context of the road. My, my grandpa, who taught me how to drive, said, Son, if you'll just keep it between the ditches, you'll be fine. And uh, I think that's a really good thing to understand is that the Bible is there to keep us between the ditches and help us to kind of make it through life and, and go down that road and hopefully go through, the, the, through life with a fulfillment. So I'm going to preach the Bible. And one of the things that the Bible is, is very relevant to today. Most modern arguments about the Bible would call the Bible irrelevant. It's not at all true. Because these are universal truths. The Bible was written to reveal God to us, to reveal who he is and how much he loves us. And even more so, he, he wrote the Bible so that you and I could have life of fulfillment. And so what I'm going to preach today may sound contrary to our culture today. Our culture wants to call the Bible irrelevant. Our, cult, our culture wants to call the, the Bible um, not culturally um, up to date 
And so many people will argue that the Bible needs to be changed so that we can be more culturally relevant. Well, the Bible is what develops culture, not the other way around. And it's our source of truth. And so things that I'm going to say may sting a little bit, may create anger or frustration. I have friends that I know that won't like what I'm about to say. And it hurts my heart because I love them, I care about them, and uh, I don't want them to hurt. But I cannot not tell the truth that the Bible teaches. And so let me start with this statement about marriage. Marriage is designed by God to be a beautiful relationship between a man and a woman. It is the means by which family and community is blessed and solidified. Marriage is designed by God. This, this what we are going to talk about and what Scripture will show us is that God designed marriage. God designed the relationship that is to be a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. And it's intended to be a beautiful relationship. It's intended to be a reflection of how he loves us. We are to love each other. And so marriage is designed by God to be a beautiful relationship between a man and a woman. It is the means by which family and community is blessed and solidified. In other words, family exists in the context of a healthy marriage. When a healthy marriage occurs, family is blessed. Family is, 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 um, <clears throat> experiences this joy that, that comes along with a happy marriage and a healthy marriage. Now, not every marriage is healthy or happy, but it is the, the foundation for which our community can be built upon if, if that marriage is reflecting the very nature of God's love and grace to our lives. And so we find that, that marriage is uh, the basis of our family structure. And when that family structure breaks down, so does community, so does our culture. And um, we can see some of the results of that, and there's studies that prove that. And I'm not here to preach about that today. Now, if you're single, I want to make sure that you understand that um, there's nothing wrong with being single. There's nothing wrong with, with not being married. Um, in fact, Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about the fact that you have a benefit. <laughs> you have the benefit of being single because you're not distracted. <laughs> Marriage will mess you up. <laughs> Marriage will mess you up in this sense, that it takes your attention, the soul attention off of God. Now you have another love. And the single love that you have now is a wonderful thing. And the Bible even says, if you can stay unmarried, that will be best for your mission. The mission and relationship with God and the mission that he wants to accomplish in your world. When you're married, when you're married you have to worry about your wife. You have to worry about how that is going and, and make sure all that's going well and then you can't be distracted to go on a mission around the world let's say or whatever the case may be you still have a relationship you need to nurture here when and and, and god uh you, you have to manage this relationship and so being single isn't bad it's a good thing and and scripture tells us that uh if you can be um unmarried and stay that way and not burn in your heart with lust and and, and passion and, and, and not sin, then that's a good thing. But if you have that lust and that passion and you are uh, wanting a, not only just a relationship but a physical relationship, then you need to marry. Not for that single reason, but you need to marry. Is that making sense? Yeah. All right. 
good because it's the Bible. So let's define marriage. Let's look at it where it started, and then we'll move on to the tools that I think will be helpful to you. Marriage is sacred, and the reason it's sacred is because God designed it. Now here's where it started. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, we read this. So the man gave names to all livestock, the birds in the sky, and, the wild, and all, the, all the wild animals. So Adam gave all the names to all the animals, which would have been a crazy experience. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So no relationship with any of the animals satisfied the need to have a companion, a suitable helper to be a part of Adam's life. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Did surgery. Then the Lord God made a woman from the ribbon that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Here you go, Adam. And he said, whoa, man. That's a cheesy joke. I know. Okay. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So she, God brought her to him, and he's like, this is good. Not only is it good, but we are now together. We are one flesh. We are, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's made from me, and now we are one. And then it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so, when we leave, it's called leave and cleave. So one of the most important things we do in a, in a relationship is we leave our mother and father and cling to our spouse. Now, typically, and my experience bears this out, that if you don't leave your mother and father and you try and cleave to your spouse, it doesn't work. You have this relationship now that's so tied in that they're driving and directing your life. And it, the intention is that you leave your mother and father because you become one flesh right here. I, I told my kids when they chose to get married that as, as, as painful as it was for me as a dad, I love my daughters. Uh, I didn't want them to get married only because I didn't ever want to let them go. But I realized theologically and emotionally I had to let them go so that they could be great wives to their husbands. If I were involved and we stayed connected and I still was over them and cared for them, then that would be an unhealthy relationship as, as it is today. You know, it'd be great if I could just give commands and tell you know, my sons-in-laws what to do and my daughters what to do and it would be wonderful, but that's not my role. I'm an outsider now, I'm not an insider. That hurts. As a parent, but man, it's also a blessing because they're out of the house, or mostly so. <laughs> and so there's this leave and cleave experience that has to happen. Why? Because when you leave your mother and father, you cling to your hu husband or your wife, and you are one in, in flesh. You're one family now. You're no longer, you're, you're connected still by relationship, but not by uh, any other thing than you're now one relationship over here. That's a powerful reality that must be followed. If we don't follow that, and, and uh, this is why there's stories about 
mother-in-laws and father-in-laws and all kinds of parent relationships that get too involved in their, uh, in, in their kids' lives, in their kids' marriages. And when that happens, it tends to go south. It's okay to have influence, but it's not okay to be in control. I hope that's making sense. So that's where marriage started. That's why it's sacred, is Jesus uh, created it. He made that happen, and as a result, there, is a, there was a need for the man, and that need could only be uh, <clears throat> met by a suitable helper, and the woman was created to be a suit- suitable helper for the man. That doesn't make her less. In fact, that makes those equals because they're interdependent upon each other to be complete. And there's that only unique relationship that if you are a single person and you choose not to be married, that you have this unique completion from the Lord. And that that can happen as a single person. Is that all making sense? Marriage is sacred. Now let's move on to the tools that I think will help make marriage a great experience. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul explains to the Ephesian church, Paul is the apostle that wrote to the Ephesian church, and he wrote them these directives based on the needs that they had for, to integrate their faith with their relationships. Sometimes we tend to dis, uh, d- <coughs> disconnect our faith and our relationships. We t- kind of want to make uh, our church experience one thing, but then let's not take that home. Let's leave it um, at church. And that's not what is intended. It's all intended to integrate. It's all intended to mix together. And the powerful thing of this is, is that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he makes one thing very, very clear. We all need to be filled with the Spirit in order to relate to each other well. In other words, we need God's Spirit in our lives in order to have the right kind of love come out of us. What is in us is going to come out of us. If we have natural love, natural love is usually centered on yourself. You are going to do things for the sake of yourself. So in a marriage, if you want to do things for the sake of yourself, that puts you in a place where you are doing all the things, even if you're being nice to your spouse, you're likely being nice to your spouse so that they'll be nice to you. And that messes relationships up. That really gets things to where, okay, does he love me or is he loving me so that I'll love him? Does she love me or is she doing those things so that I'll do things for her? And when that question arises, there's natural love because it's conditional. It's like, I'll, I'll give you if you'll give back. I'll do this if you'll do that. And, and so that is the kind of natural love that, that will, will mess up a relationship because as soon as someone starts, stops paying back what they're receiving, it stops. And that's not healthy for a relationship. So Paul is encouraging the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Have the Spirit in you, God's Spirit, and love with that Spirit. And when we have God involved in the relationship, then the relationship can can succeed. And succeed with a level of happiness and fulfillment and um, just joy that is meant to be in the relationships that we have. And so it's really, really powerful. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 starts like this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love this because it's a blanket umbrella for everybody. It's not just one person. It's man and woman. It's to, we are to submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. And that word submit means to um, equally support. Support, encourage, come under, give yourselves for the greater good of the other individual. So if my wife and I are submitting to each other, I am submitting to her based on her needs, and she's submitting to me based on my needs. And we're both trying to help each other. It's kind of like getting to a door. If you're equally submitting, you get to a door and you go, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And, you know, in our culture, it's always the ladies first. So that's a good thing. But um, it's that kind of mutual submission. And so the first tool that you have is submit. Look for the good for the other person. Do what you can to support them, to encourage them, to, to give yourself to them. And when we do that, it's very, very powerful. Now here's probably the most un- unpopular verse for any pastor to preach in today's culture. It's uh, verse 22, and it says this. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now if we take the 2021 lens of our culture and we put it on that verse, it's like, oh man, I was given this verse to read at my nephew's wedding uh, for as, as I was one of the scripture readers, and uh, I heard all these chuckles happen as I was reading this verse, especially when I got to, wives, submit to your husbands as, as you do to the Lord. And then it said, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And it was funny to listen to all these chuckles. And this wasn't, a, you know, not everybody in the, in the room, not everybody in the, in the place was, was a believer. And so they, they, they questioned, what, what, how, how, what's the submission thing? Well, let me, let me put it in this way. It's, it's first of all, the, the language, the Greek language that this was written in is, uh, says that this is an imperative. In other words, it's command. It says, wives, Submit. That's the command version of that. And I can't, I can't change that or I'd be, I, I wouldn't be uh, giving the Bible its, its integrity. And so this whole idea of submit means to come under, allow the husband to lead. This does not diminish your strength, your value, your importance, your, your anything to the relationship. In fact, what you're doing is placing responsibility where the responsibility belongs. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you're coming under or you're supporting this person that you've married. And you're saying, you have a responsibility. I will support you to carry that responsibility. That's what that means. And so we're coming under. It's a command. It's not a choice. I can't, if I were to change it, I'd love to go. But if you don't want to, it's okay. Or if you're not feeling like it, or if he's, you know, if, if he's a jerk, um, there's some things about being a jerk that you could argue. But at the end of the day, this submission is a command. It's important. And we do it as unto the Lord. And what this simply means, as we submit to Christ, so we submit to the relationship that we have with our spouse. Wives, when you submit, you're you're first evaluating that submission based on your understanding of submission to the Lord. Jesus loves you so much and he cares for you so much that it's easy, rather easy, to give yourself to Jesus. 
And, and that's how we are to respond to our husbands, or you're, you are to respond to your husbands. And that's a submission as unto the Lord. Now, this passage that in verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, this is really important because I think it, it completely aligns with um, our heart. And that is the understanding that the husband is the head. This means not that he is this dictator, authoritarian, he gets to put his thumb on you and you, get to, you have to do whatever he says and whatever whim or wish or all those kinds of things. No, this means the husband is the ultimate responsibility for the relationship. The, the husband is the one who carries the weight of the entire relationship on his shoulders. This is who Jesus is. This is the very nature of Christ. This is the very nature of who Jesus is. He says, I will take the responsibility to do whatever it takes to take care of the people of this planet. And he, took, he takes care of us on a daily basis, not just 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross, but his constant involvement in our lives, his constant provision for our, our needs, his constant care for our well-being is involved every single day. That is the husband's responsibility as the head of the church is to take care of his wife in such a way that they have no problem submitting to that relationship and that leadership. You see, we are to be Jesus to our wives, husbands. We are to be Jesus to our wives, and if we are not doing that, we are letting down on the responsibility. And unfortunately, the wives quite often take up the responsibility and say, okay, if he's not going to do it, if he's not going to be that, if he's not going to care for our family, if he's not going to care for my needs, then I'm going to care for my needs. And that's where everything goes south. And it becomes a very unpleasant relationship. Why? Because the wife is carrying responsibility that she was never designed to do. Remember, there was a created purpose for women. And that is to be a suitable helper. Not an unequal helper, a suitable helper that makes the man complete. And when that happens, and when it happens the right way, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And there's this encouragement that comes together. And... When the, when the husband's carrying the weight of the responsibility for the relationship like he should, and the, and the wife is supporting and submitting to that, then there's a powerful re wholeness that comes out of that relationship. But when it's not happening, it's ugly. Let's admit it. It's no fun. It's not enjoyable. And if the wife is trying to take the responsibility and not letting the man carry the responsibility, and she is just choosing, I don't, I don't like you, I don't care what, I, I'm not going to let you take responsibility, and you take it from the man, and the man doesn't have a chance to fall on his face with the responsibility, he'll never grow to be that man that you want him to be. There's a point in time where you have to say, enough is enough. I'm going to let you I'm going to give you the responsibility and you need to carry it or I'm going to watch you fall and then God puts it back together. It's pretty cool. It's not fun, but it's cool. You guys are right? You're very quiet. So the first tool is this. It's simply this. Wives, submit as unto the Lord. Serve Jesus by following the leadership of your husband. And when you do... 
I believe you will see your husband grow and grow like he should grow into the man that Jesus wants him to be. And that's, I realize it's hard. I realize it's countercultural. I realize it's swimming upstream in our culture. But it is the powerful truth of what Scripture is teaching us. When wives can come under and become that suitable helper, man has a chance to become the man he's supposed to be. Verse 25, and this is where it gets heavy for us guys. Husbands, love your wives. That also is a command. Just like submit was, this is a command. It, you know what's interesting? It doesn't say, husband, lead your wives. You hear that? It doesn't say, husband, lead your wives. Be the dictator in your home. Take charge. Come down with an iron fist. Make sure you get your way. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her, what? Her, his slave? No. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. The outcome of a love relationship from a man to a woman is to present this woman as a spotless person. Just a beautiful person who's become something fantastic. Why? Because the husband has taken the responsibility of loving her like Christ has loved us. Not only did he die on a cross 2,000 years ago for our sins, but he has done everything to give us truth. One of the most powerful statements in this passage is cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. It means, guys, live out the preached word in your own life and it will affect your wife's life. It doesn't mean preach and then do what you want. It means if you're going to talk the talk, walk the talk. It means if you're going to sit in this room and hear the word of God and, and then you go home and you go, man, uh, uh, honey, you need to listen to this word. It's so good. You need to live it out. But if you're not living it out, it does nothing but make her more angry, frustrated, tension filled with you. Guys, this is where the weight comes down on us because we, if we are the head, that means we're the responsible one for the relationship. And that doesn't mean that your wife doesn't have the opportunity to choose to do the wrong thing. But she's more likely to do the right thing if you're doing the right thing. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That means we're letting the word take effect in our lives so that we can help it take effect in their lives. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Did you know that Jesus is constantly working on you and me as the church to present to himself a beautiful bride on the day when he comes to take us all home? And what he expects when we get there is this beautiful church that is so in love with him that we've given everything we can to him and that's the intent of what we are to do with our wives 
is to create these, the, these ladies that are so powerful, that are so wonderful, that are made in God's image, that they become fully what God ever, always intended them to be. And it helps when we are the, the, the catalyst and the encouragement of that. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let me ask this question. Are you proud of the woman your wife has become because you have loved her like Jesus has loved her? Are you proud of the woman your wife has become because you have loved her like Jesus has loved her? That's the question we have to answer, guys. Verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because we're one flesh. Remember the, the passage in Genesis? We're one flesh. That means we're one person. One person. When, when you look at your wife, you're looking at yourself. When she looks at you, she's looking at herself. Because we're one. You don't pull that apart. In, in the wedding vows, it says, let, let no one put asunder. Let no one pull apart. Why? Because we're one flesh. And when we become that one flesh, then we are one person. My wife and I are one person. Although we think different, we act different, we, we <laughs> have different perspectives, we're still one person. And therefore, we're never to be pulled apart. It's powerful. One flesh. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. When we are one, that means I care for her like I care for myself. Now, if you don't love yourself, if you don't care for yourself, guys, then that's where we got to start. But we have to realize that we need to care for our wives as much, if not even more, than we care for ourselves. Verse 30, 31 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's that one flesh concept again. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We don't have time to go into that whole statement about how Christ and us are one. This is why we should represent Jesus everywhere we go all the time. Because we are like Christ. We are Christ to this world. We were Christ to these ladies that brought their car to get their oil changed yesterday. And they did see Jesus. And they did see his love and grace in their lives. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So there's two tools, really. Submission and love. Submission and love. Let's not put submission in that ugly, authoritarian put your thumb on, those kinds of statements. It's a come under, it's support, encourage, it's complete, that man, and then love. Guys, our job is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and there's a whole other message opportunity right there, but the reality is the, the more we know and understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we can better love our wives because that's the person we're to be to our wives. Two great tools, submit and love. When these two get together, it's a beautiful dance. I like watching people dance, and when they dance in harmony, it's amazing. 
It's amazing to watch them kind of. They just dance seamlessly um, when they don't. It's a painful thing to watch. It's a funny thing to watch. You're stepping on toes and you're, you know, and, and if, if somebody's leading and somebody's following, that's a good thing. But if both are leading, boy, it's like, oh, come over here and come over here. And you're wrestling and it looks like a wrestling match more than a dance. And it's a mess. People are stumbling and tripping and falling and, and there's pain and there's agony. And it, it's the same thing when the argument happens in home. It's the same thing that happens when we're, we're going through those learning process of dancing together. There's things that Karen and I do, do very well together that we've practiced for 32 years together and we dance really well. And there's other things that we're still figuring out. And it's a beautiful thing when that seamless submission and love happens. It's not submission and lead. It's submission and love. And when we learn that, marriages will succeed. Why do I think this is so important? Because I believe that the church has to, has to swim up this stream. And when we do, and when we affect our community for Christ and for marriage and for families, we will see a difference in our community. Unfortunately, there's a big, big mountain to climb. But I believe we can climb it. I'm committed to helping guys be the man that they need to be in relationship. We'll learn together. I'm not saying I have it all perfected. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just saying that if you're going through something, let's go through it together. Because I believe the Bible is the answer. And I believe that the more we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us as men, we can better love our wives. And they will more willingly be a part of that submission process. Want to be a part of that because we are loving them to make them beautiful bride. That's what God wants in our marriages today. Two tools. Submission and love. Love and submission. How, whatever order you want to put them in, make them dance together, and it will be beautiful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are designing our lives and shaping our thoughts and taking us down this path of love and grace that helps us as couples, as married, married couples, as singles even, Lord, know better how to relate to other people, know better how to relate to each other, God, we realize that you have sacredly designed marriage to be a one flesh experience. Help us, God, not to be two people just surviving together, but help us to be two people dancing and living life to its fullest and experiencing the joy of marriage and the joy of being together, the joy of, of, of having children, the joy of experiencing what life can be like in all aspects of life. We give you thanks and praise that you have put these couples that are represented in this room together. And I pray, Father, for that hurting marriage. I pray for that broken marriage. I pray, Lord, for the broken heart that is experiencing the, the, <clears throat> the sorrow of a broken relationship. God, in the name of Jesus, 
If, it's, if it can be restored, we pray that you restore it in the name of Jesus. Lord, if there's forgiveness that needs to be extended, if there's hearts that need to be restored, if there's marriages that need forgiveness and, and all those things, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you bring health and wholeness to these relationships. God, I believe that your word is true, and I believe that you have sacredly designed marriage, Lord, for us and for our community. We pray that Journey Church would be a, a, a haven of health and wholeness of healing and restoration for marriages. We pray that Journey Church Ventura would be a place, Lord, where people can come and, and find their answers and, and struggle together, Lord, to come together and experience the joy of marriage. I thank you and I praise you, God, for what you have designed. And we pray that you would allow us the privilege to experience it in its fullest form, in its best form. Lord, may us husbands learn how to love like you love. And may uh, the wives, everybody here, experience the joy of knowing what it's like to come under somebody who loves like you love us. And I thank you, God, that you're bringing health and wholeness to our relationships. I pray this in Jesus' name. And maybe you're here online or you're here on site and you haven't accepted Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior. He loves you so much that he died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. And he loves you so much that he would come back to life three days later to promise us eternal life. And if you'd like to be saved today, that saved simply means that your sins are forgiven that your relationship with Jesus is, is unbroken and that you now have a relationship with him, not just a short-term one, but an eternal one. If that's something you want in your life, would you just pray this short prayer with me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on a cross and I thank you for forgiving me of my sins and I receive that forgiveness right now. And thank you for raising from the dead and today I can experience eternal life. Lord, if my last breath happened within the next hour, I know I would spend eternity with you. I pray that you would accept me into this family. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.